not about reach. It's not about scale. It's not about eyeballs. It's about investment. The audience has to be invested in your brand. And that investment has to come through genuine authenticity if you want to reach an audience that's under the age of 30. Well, our guest today is Sam Tolles, the chief media and content officer for an exploding new e-gaming entertainment group called Misfits Gaming. Previously, he had some big gigs, chief content officer at iFit and Bleach Report, worked at MGM, Vimeo. I'm not trying to date you, Sam, by all of by this whole resume. There's a lot more there. Uh, but Sam, buddy, it's really good to see you. How are you doing, man? It's so great to be connected again, Eric. I, uh, I've been looking forward to this. Oh, good. Well, we're excited. And you know, as we as we dive in, um, I'll give you kind of the quick update um, as I'm giving the audience. Radical content, kind of what we're trying to create is we're really trying to help people in marketing, marketers, understand how we can create better content. How can we, I think what we say is entertain, connect, and build raving fans is kind of like the tagline for this whole thing. And the point of view is really that marketing in general has become a bit of a mess. It's a lot of selling. It's a lot of yelling. And we got to find ways to tell better stories, to connect, to engage. This is something we've been talking about for a while, uh, both offline, sometimes on LinkedIn. We'll talk about that here in a little bit. Um, and we're going to be talking to storytellers, people that are marketers. Um, I'm trying to. Get, I'm going to try to get my sister-in-law, who's a comedian, to come on. Um, and the reason why I think Sam being here is so cool is, A, he's got a background in marketing, um, and that's kind of where he started, but he's really spent a a tremendous amount of time in the digital content space, working and trying to reach younger audiences. Um, he's been in uh, Connected Fitness, uh, was it Bleacher Report, iFit, like I, I mentioned some of those things. And uh, and so, yeah, so Sam, as I kind of round that out, and then, and now as you're in this gaming and creator world, like that's like, I feel like we've got chapters of this uh, podcast. So, samples. Yes, indeed. Yeah, I'm going to try to uh, back off and, 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 and share the mic with you for you to kind of share. But before we get into it, just in a summary way, as much as you can, walk us through a little bit of the, the story, and then we'll kind of dive in and out of some of these uh, really important uh, stops along the way. 100%. So, you know, I was, I'm a kid from Buffalo, New York. Um, when I graduated school, I didn't know what I wanted to do, as most people at that age, you know, struggle uh, with that choice. And I was always, you know, drawn to media and politics. So did I turn the car, you know, east to go to DC or west to go to LA and, you know, packed up all my belongings with a thousand bucks and drove to Los Angeles and started a career in media. I started working at the studios, doing uh, marketing initially for theatrical releases um, in international marketplace, then uh, transitioned to something called home video, which uh, a lot of kids would not even know what that is, but um, making a lot of money selling plastic discs. And in you know, as a marketer, you're given a product. You're not you're not you're not involved in the creation of that content. And so, as my career evolved, uh, I was you know lucky enough to join the Warner Music Group right as they were acquired by uh, Seagram's and Bronfman's uh, you know group. And then they laid off half the company, which happens in an acquisition. And I sort of raised my hand and said, you know, as we think about content, you know, there's the A and R group and there's the marketing group, and we don't talk. Uh, shouldn't the people who are marketing the content have input into what content we ultimately select? And light bulb went off. They said, sure. So I sort of created this hybrid content acquisitions 
and marketing role so I could actually apply my marketing brain to the creative decisions on content that was already finished. Then, as you mentioned, I went to Vimeo, um, was really trying to turn that platform uh, into a consumer-facing um, you know, audience play. We initially started with transactional service. We were aspiring to be a subscription service, but another calling from MGM happened where I got the opportunity to work with young creators, pairing them with MGM IP, then on to Bleacher Report, the largest sports social platform on the planet. House of Highlights is a part of that portfolio and reorganized and led content there, growing from 30 million to over 108 million social followers in less than two years, which is pretty damn cool. Uh, also, thanks to TikTok, because that helped. <laughs> and um, and then went on to Connected Fitness, uh, and now working in um, in the gaming uh, adjacent space, sort of re- revisiting my Bleacher Report playbook to really lean into the audience that is um, uh, gamers, um, but from a lifestyle perspective, from a creator lens, as opposed to just traditional esports gaming uh, competition content. So that's my story, as quickly yeah. as I could tell it. No, uh, sorry good. to take up like half the podcast. <laughs> no, doing no, it's good, and I think it's important and it's relevant. And you know, there's a couple things that I feel like. Uh, well, there's a, there's a bunch in there that I'd like to dig into. One is um, a lot of this has really been about digital content, and a lot of it's really been about reaching new audiences. Two things that I think marketers struggle with today is really understanding the pervasive nature and the different unique nature of what digital content needs to be um, and how it has to be different to reach these younger audiences. But yet they still kind of operate in a, in a specific kind of lane where they take TV um, and they kind of place it everywhere. They push it on people and they hold back their money bags and just, you know, wait for, for people to come. And look, it's a, it's a, it's a world that's changing and ever evolving. And it's been good to people for, for many, many years. And for some brands, it, it still is. Um, but we're in a, in a new world. And so I, I kind of want to just, uh, if you don't know, Sam's pretty bold too. He's got some hot takes and that's why he's here, but I want to kind of just open that Pandora's box a little bit, and then we'll drill down into some of these roles like Bleacher Report and and some of the other things you're, you're doing. I just want you to talk about, uh, kind of the the nature of the way marketers think about content today, where they should be going, um, yep. and where they're kind of st- stuck right now, and they might need a little bit of an extra push here. Uh, that thing that exists within sort of like millennials and Gen Z and now Gen A is a authenticity uh, valve is what I call it. So think about your heart opening and closing inadvertently. This is the same way uh, younger audiences consume content. If it feels authentic to them, to their experience, if the creator on the other end of that screen is speaking to them in a way that touches them and is authentic to them, they are open and receptive to the message. When they're being pitched or advertised, even if it's a creator that they love, right? Even if it's somebody that they feel is authentic, they're smart enough innately to know that when that creator holds up, let's say, this bottle of Perrier and says, you should drink the Perrier, They've been paid for that. And why is that a problem? Because they're reading a script that that company has written for them. And it becomes very clear to its audience, oh, that's how they make money. I don't need to pay attention. I don't need to care, right? That's the, that's the, that's the sort of core problem in how marketing is, is, is ultimately addressed. The other problem is what I call the interruptive advertising conundrum. When I was at Vimeo, one of the things we always talked about was how YouTube on the other side was just cluttered with interruptive advertising. Interruptive advertising has existed now for 
essentially the entirety of television's existence, um, you know, post like say the 1950s when the spots became a thing and what spots essentially are doing are interrupting your experience with a story. You're invested in the story. You're watching uh, something like a succession and all of a sudden stop the, stop what you care about and pay attention to this, this message that has literally nothing to do with the reason that you're there. And so I, I genuinely believe that, that this is a landscape as that cohort of audience born after World Wide Web is expanding and expanding. And the audience that was born before that time, myself included, is, you know, contracting, aging out, moving into that post, you know, peak spend. And I think one of the things that's delayed this is that, you know, Gen X is at peak spend and we've like sort of had our our world of television and our world of digital and since sort of still respond to that type of advertising but as we age out of the sort of prime spending um brands are going to find themselves in a world of hurt you look at imbev you look at um uh, coca-cola now hershey's being challenged by you know feastables being challenged by microbreweries small businesses that have an innate ability to connect through story, their story, their unique, authentic story with audience and steal, you know, percentages of market shares from market behemoths that have every advantage in the world except authenticity. And I think that's the critical thing for brands to really, really focus on and pay attention to. It's not about reach. It's not about scale. It's not about eyeballs. It's about investment. The audience has to be invested in your brand. And that investment has to come through genuine authenticity if you want to reach an audience that's under the age of 30. Yeah. I mean, you know, I've I've got a buddy of mine who always talks about resonance as being like, you know, a thing that's hard to measure. uh, But when you can get there and you know when it's happening, right? At least the audience does. The audience knows when it's happening. That's where you're trying to kind of turn the table a little bit and and really reach that other level of, uh, of connection. So let's Let's. There's a few places I could go. Let's uh, let's dive into Bleacher Report, if I can. Yeah. I'm a big sports fan. You're a, you're a Buffalo Bills guy, right? Huge yeah. Bills fan. So I'm a Cowboys fan. So sorry about those Super Bowls in the early '90s. Um, but uh, I saved that for the pod. Did you like that? I love that. I love that. That's uh, that's good. Yeah, um, I do have a painful. I do have a banner. I've got two Dallas Cowboy championship banners over there. Um, that, that, it's uh, neither Buffalo me. Bills one. Sorry, these are the, okay. Okay, the yeah, you guys win a lot, so like, we can keep share, going here. Share the, share the love. Share yeah, the yeah, love. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no I've got yeah. nothing wrong. I, I like a, I like a little Josh Allen right now. I think Bill's got a good good squad. Um, we do, but I want to dive into Bleach Report, and you might you might dive a little bit into um, even House of Highlights um, because there's something that Bleacher Report did, and long before I knew you. Um, I was just enamored by it. Again, former sports radio guy, then turned marketer, but loved to do marketing in a way that was more like the media companies of the world, right? How do you create content people want, invite them in to participate, and build an audience, right? That model's being usually built off of potential long-term IP or advertising, but still at the end of the day, it was value-based. You were trying to put something in their life that they cared about, entertained them, inspired them, educated them. And so that model has been what I've always been kind of trying to model my career and, and the teams and the brands that I worked for. And something that you guys did at Bleacher Report that I think is hard to get to is scaled, creative, uh, social-first content. So now like, is your chance. Like, How do you do that? How many people do you need? What kind of systems do you have? Like, 
help me kind of un uh, you know kind of uncover a little bit of the secrets of of how a bleach report um, creates content in a way that a brand could take on maybe a smaller scale and start to say how could we apply some of these kind of media best practices yeah. to do what we do without a, without a doubt so um, you know I think there are a couple things bleach report was an interesting challenge because my role was newly created and it was facing sort of the innovator's dilemma bleach report was born as a newsletter which then evolved into a digital publishing business with its replete with its own newsroom there was a need for them to feel more credible and so they hired you know you know, headline writers and folks to, to sort of give them that credibility, but they had stalled, right? And and so when I got to the business, like social, uh, and I give tremendous credit to uh, Doug Bernstein, who uh, was the GM of House of Highlights under me, and Bennett Spector, who ran Bleacher Report under me from a programming perspective, um, both hugely, they were there before me, they are still there, they are absolutely deserve as much, if not five times more credit than I do um, for the success. Um, but basically, we were at a crossroads. Like, what do we want to be when we grow up? And so as I sort of looked at the organization, and to answer your question, like we, when I came on board, we were about 315 people in the content group. And so that's a lot of headcount. Um, and that's a hard, hard nut to swallow when you're in a digital business, right? As a, as just a, as a business operator. So the first thing I had to do is go like, where where is our future? Where's our ambition? And it became very clear to me that the thing that the audience wanted was a focus, a laser focus on uh, our social strategies. The other thing I think that's really important um, was how we thought about our structure and programming. Each of Bleacher Report is not a holistic um, sports business. Each of the each of the sort of verticals are targeted. Like BR Gridiron is focused on a customer like me who ultimately loves the Buffalo Bills and wants to consume all content NFL related. I may not care about basketball. I may not care about baseball, um, but I really care about football. So there's a steady stream of Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube content that's designated for those uh, those specific audiences. There's a betting a betting vertical. There's a kicks, you know, um, shoes and fashion vertical. So all things sort of adjacent to sports, but very targeted. So understanding targeting is important, which all marketers know. That's not brain surgery. But then d- diving a layer deep, it's 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 critically important that you build a team of programmers. And these programmers hard to come by. But they basically live their lives on the platforms that they are hired to program. So they are spending endless amounts of time on TikTok, on Instagram, and they're watching and and sort of innately know uh, that the voice of that platform. They then ladder up to a subject matter expert, somebody who cares about betting, who's responsible for the voice, tone, feel, and editorial content of that channel. So the programmers are saying, these are the trends, these are the sort of stories, the formats that are being um, explored within these uh, various verticals. The, the the sort of leader of the channel is like, okay, here's how you apply betting as an example to that, that trend or to that format to make it fly. And so each of these were little sort of pods uh, of call it anywhere from three to seven people, House of Highlights being the largest. Uh, I think the team was about eight people in total, all laddering up to Doug, who is just sort of wizard of uh, of TikTok and Instagram and House of Highlights and Tone. Um, but, but basically, 
those people and brands, I think, get uncomfortable because you're, you got to hire programmers sort of they, 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 there is no work history or resume that you can find with the people who are actually touching the platforms. They just have to be really, really good at TikTok or really, really good at YouTube. And each platform, by the way, is very different. Yeah. Like YouTube Shorts, Instagram, and TikTok all have short form vertical content, totally different programming strategy. Like you need people who know it instinctively, but you also have to have a more mature person that sits atop of that, that sort of is giving creative guidance to say, okay, we can't just spray and pray around, you know, random trends and, and just sort of like follow the copycat, the platform, because that's not going to scale your audience. You need someone who's got that North star for each of those verticals to ultimately say, okay, this is how we apply the voice, the, the, the sort of thought process, the story to what you guys are seeing. And then this is, the, and then of course you're testing programming cadence and all of the sort of tricks and things that people know about managing social media. I hope that it's a long answer. No, it, but at least it's, it's good. A, it's, it is a lot, it's, it's long, but it needed to be And There's so much there to unpack. Um, so a couple things that I, I noticed, I talked about this on LinkedIn the other day. Um, you didn't like it. So you need to go like it, Sam. No, I'm kidding. Uh, but I talked about the importance of what I called a content strategist. Cause I'm trying to put it in a, in a marketing like language but you call it a programmer. <laughs> we got to stop this. Well, what language. are you going to do? This yeah. is just this is the world know, that we live I, in, Sam. I, I can't creating. I can't get outside the world that we exist in, so we're here. Uh, yes. But I think it's a content programmer, right? That's what it was in radio. It was programming, and it's the people that understand the audience, the topics, that, or journalists, right? It's journalists, depending on – they know their, their beat that they're covering, right? If you're a journalist, it's the same idea – and I think there's so, so much value in kind of um, looking at it like, like that. And what I posted on LinkedIn was that if you can find one of these content strategists, programmers, what you, like content producers, whoever it is, they live, eat, and breathe this. They live, eat, and breathe this stuff. And they're so valuable to your organization. They're almost, they're almost, uh, you have to have them. Like you can't do this without them because in marketing, we have a ton of people that are focused on research, a ton of people that are focused on audience, and then we've got some creatives that write scripts, and then we've got some social media people that press publish. And parts of this skill that we're talking about kind of sits all over the place, but it's not really prioritized. And what I was trying to say is understanding whether it's a program or a content strategy, if you're going to be out there telling stories and creating content that's intended to engage, you can't do it with just... Um, a you know a marketing writer and a marketing comms manager and a paid uh, p- paid media specialist. Those are good for some organizations. They're they're what you need. But when you're trying to be this content first organization, um, that's that's one thing that I I took out of that. The other thing that I wanted you to kind of open a little bit more, and then we'll switch to and jump into iFit because I know y'all did some crazy cool stuff there. Uh, how did you decide to launch something new? Like you talked about Gridiron and you talked about other things that were happening within House of Highlights. What did you do to either test and then when you saw something, you're like, hey, this is a thing. Let's green light it. Let's rally around. Let's put resources against it. Take us in, inside that process a little bit. Sure. Sure. I mean, look, I think going to the very – starting with your second point, uh, going to the very top, as we sort of said, what does Bleacher Report want to be? Like I think every organization that's content-led or that content is important, um, you have to have a voice and you have to understand like – that becomes your Bible. And I mean, and I mean that literally. Like you, if you deviate from your voice – it doesn't mean that your voice doesn't evolve. I mean every sure. 
it's your editorial mission, right? It's like, it is, yeah, it, it's, it's the essence of what you wish to convey and it has to be consistently applied to what you do. So as we looked at the sort of landscape when I joined, obviously the, you know, we, because of our lineage and our acquisition at, you know, years before my arrival by Turner Sports, you know, we were so affiliated with, um, with the NBA because Turner had NBA rights. And so we did a lot of basketball content because that was, you know, easy. You could literally, I mean, when I, when I joined the, the, the sort of, Easiest lift is take a LeBron clip, do a clever tr- treatment on it, post it 700,000 likes later. Bing, rinse, bing, rinse, bing, yeah, bing. It's, yeah, the cash register rang, right? Um, and it had gotten a little stale. But like the NFL is undoubtedly the largest sport and we weren't really doing anything other than sort of Got like it. editorial – publishing. So that was an obvious opportunity because I'm like what is what does Bleacher Report mean to sports fan? It's one of the reasons that you you'll see animation used in 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 the way we approached the gridiron um vertical but because we didn't have NFL rights. So we had to create content that lived within fair use that we could actually editorialize around without the benefit of having the footage and the rights. Um, but you also the- probably couldn't have done some of those things in the scripts if you were licensed by the NFL. <laughs> No, my God, no! It would be crazy. Which is, uh, which <laughs> watch some watch some Gridiron Heights. It's one of my favorite yeah. shows. And you'll and by the way, uh, in the seasons um, twenty nineteen twenty twenty, the 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 voice of um, McDermott, the Bills head coach, is me. Uh, oh, <laughs> fun, fun. All little, right, so uh, so favorite but, thing that you guys uh, created at Bleacher Report, and then we're gonna jump over to iFit. Yeah, sure, sure. What's the thing um, that st- stands out to you? Look, I think you know it. It happened before me, but I think that the we got so much better at Game of Zones, um, and the the Malamutes are now doing, I think, a show for Fo- an animated series for Fox. Um, the Malamut brothers um, sort of had come to the to the company with a, with a proposal and had you know launched a season of Game of Zones. Um, you know, I met with them and immediately they actually gave me, by the way, this will be beneficial. Uh, they gave me the question I ask in every interview. I said, how do you, how do you find creatively talented people? How oh, do you actually yeah. find somebody who knows uh, what the hell they're doing in creative? Cause everybody's creative. So yeah, everybody thinks they're creative. <laughs> and, and the, and the Malamutes gave me this, they said, I always ask this question. Uh, we always ask this question. Um, name something it can be any era. Any era it doesn't have to be current. Doesn't doesn't have to be scripted or unscripted. Can be digital, whatever. Name a piece of content that everybody likes that you don't like, and tell me why. Mm-hmm. And there are two ways that you answer this question. This is the filter, right? There's two ways. The first way you ask the question is, I don't like American Idol because I'm not. I don't like singing competitions. I just don't. Sure. I, don't, I just don't gel with them. I don't, I right. don't connect. And and that is the wrong answer. Sure. Um, because that's the I. It doesn't freaking matter what what you think about a piece of content in the sense of like how it personally relates to you. But what creatives will do, what talented creatives will do, will will dive into the mechanics and the architecture. The they have seen storytelling come to life. They themselves are storytellers, so they they talk about the choices. I don't like American Idol because it's too you know the judges feel inauthentic. It feels staged. Um, you know some of the some of Simon Cowell stuff feels like overwrought or you know done purposefully to antagonize conflict 
Um, I think that, you know, the voice by contrast has a different format and structure that works better, that I think is more relatable to people, that the, the sort of camaraderie aspect. These are storytelling techniques and tools. And the people who are creatively imbued just speak about them naturally because they love storytelling. But not only do they love storytelling, they make stories and they understand the choices involved in how those stories are made. Mm -hmm. All right, so we're going to move on to where you are now. And the reason why this is so great is uh, so you're at Misfits Gaming, and um, we don't have time to go through yes. all of the awesome rebrand from, a e, you know, from an e-gaming into more of a, a lifestyle brand. Um, you can touch on it if you want because I want you to be able to set the table so people understand it. But at the end of the day, you're in the creator world today, right? And, and you're, you're kind of all hands, all feet, all in. And one of the other things I, I talk to marketers a lot about is – you want to know how to build relationships. Do you want to know how to create content at scale? Go look at an influencer. And I'm not necessarily like pro influencer vlogger that's just there to look pretty. I talk about them as creators, right? People that are bringing value and creating content. Those are the ones that I think are are interesting and compelling for brand partnerships. But at the end of the day, um, in this house, we're kind of a dude perfect house. My kids love dude perfect. And we sit there and we watch Dude Perfect and we watch the, these guys and they've done a phenomenal job of A, creating content people want, B, a speed and scale so they're showing up regularly, right? And C, it's so relational. Like my parent, my kids care about Ty from Dude Perfect, right? And in the gaming uh, creator world, it's just as much of a strong example. So, so for now, I'd, I'd love to kind of hear why you decided to move into the creator world and and how the mindset of creators is something that if brands could attach themselves to and just steal some of these mindset ideas, um, there's tremendous opportunity, especially in these merging platforms that we're creating content for today. So I think given the fact that your podcast is 30 to 40 minutes, this is going to be a preview for a future episode. That's Probably so. This is probably the thing I'm most passionate about. I'm going to tell a story uh, of my first days at Vimeo. I got to the company. They had hired me to be sort of like the studio guy who had a lot of experience. I'd built subscription platform. I'd worked in marketing. I'd done content acquisitions. I, I knew it all. I was the guy who knew everything there was to know about content and I was going to be the steady hand that was going to come into Vimeo and change, you know, the way that the kids looked at content. Uh, a couple months later, I was blessed with the opportunity to go to VidCon in Las Vegas. Uh, I'm sorry, in Anaheim. Um, VidCon in Am Anaheim is something I encourage every marketer, every content person, every human being on the planet. Uh, they have two of them now. I think one's in like Baltimore. Uh, one continues to be in in Anaheim in the summer. Go not for necessarily the, you know, the sessions or whatnot, though they're very interesting. And you probably won't, if you want to dive deeper, there's a great industry track. But what happened to me was I, I arrived in Anaheim at the convention center and, and immediately was confronted with all of these um, young people in their, you know, early teens, um, hordes of them chasing other young nondescript people screaming like they were the Beatles. And I looked up at the ceiling and I said, and I said to myself out loud in that moment, everything I know about content is wrong. These people will grow up. This is where content is going. And I have to completely reteach every, relearn every assumption I have. Because what people don't, I think, appreciate about content and its evolution is it is 
it it is a it is a it is a constantly moving thing. When I started in the business, theatrical films were by far the pinnacle, and people talked about around the water cooler, you know, what movie you were going to see uh, that weekend or what movie you had seen the weekend before, right? Television, you know, in its, you know, probably up until the into up up and through the late nineties was a young person's business. You know, my creative mentor, a guy named Garth Anseer, was 24 when he was running programming for NBC. And, and his, I think he was 28 when he took over as president of Fox and running programming there. And it was a young person's business. It was experimental. It was it was television. It was ephemeral. I, I like to tell this story, which I think uh, is, is instructive, which is if you were a producer on Broadway in 1900 and watched people flooding into Nickelodeons to press their face against a metal plate on a wooden box and turn a crank to watch a train going in and out of a, of a station, you would say, that's nice. It's ephemeral. It's a nice gimmick, but it has nothing to do with our business and we're, we're fine. But then movies come and movies evolve from Nickelodeon to bigger screens. And then you add sound, color, Spielberg, Lucas. And by the mid 1920s, the, you know, the, the, the media, the medium of film was without a doubt the most important medium it was the cultural touchstone of media and 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 you know broadway was moved to a second position television was picture with radios until desi arnaz said you know i want to film i love lucy because um i think it's good content the people at cbs said that's crazy it's television it's ephemeral it it's, has no long term value desi arnaz said i think it is very valuable um and said like i'm going to i'm going to you know, I'll pay for the film, but I want to own it. And he's like, sure, whatever. Um, that became Desilu Studios, which spun off Star Trek, Mission Impossible, dozens of other important series. But like Desi Arnaz knew in the moment that television was bigger than it was in that moment. Um, and as we think about like now television through the evolution of procedurals and long arcing dramas, The Wire, Netflix, television now clearly is the primary medium. Film has been moved like Broadway to a secondary medium. And if you're in television, and I hear this from a lot of my big named, you know, showrunners and producer friends, oh, you know, social, that doesn't mean much. That's not that interesting. But it's interesting, you know, uh, I think there was a uh, Hoda on one of the morning shows, can't remember which one, because I don't I don't watch a friend of mine relayed this information, said about that submarine um, you know, when everybody was thinking about like where they trapped, da, da 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 she said the internet will beat us to it every time. Um, from news to content creation, what you're looking at is the what television is today. The influencer creator led world will be tomorrow. It will become the primary form of media. So ignore it, um, dismiss it at your own risk because it is only going to get more omnipresent and grow. And by the way, you know, potentially the metaverse, if, uh, you know, if, if that evolves replaces that medium, you know, many years down the road. I'm rooting against that one. (laughs) That's another story for another day, uh, off the podcast. But, but the point being, um, the way this talent, um, influencers, when I work and I work with, um, I, I think of Mr. Beast as the I Love Lucy moment of digital. I think we've seen with Mr. Beast a, 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 a programming that consistently gets 100 million views, as many views as the Super Bowl. It is the most popular piece of content, you know, possibly even more popular than the Super Bowl and the NFL, and it's happening on YouTube. Um, 
I Love Lucy was the beginning. It wasn't the end. Mr. Beast is the beginning. And when you look at his content, uh, and I, I, I give credit because we work with Carl Jacobs, who is on the Mr. Beast crew, and we're building a lot of our content strategy with Carl. Um, when when I sit with Carl, when I sit with our other influencers, the, just the tactical knowledge, both analytical and creative, how it how they're sort of like almost brain plugged into the platforms that they serve. They think about all of this stuff. They they almost think like marketers uh, in a weird way, but it's yeah. it's it's one part analytics and one part creative instinct, and you need both. Yeah, because just analytics. You just copy and paste, and there are tons and tons, probably thousands of Mr. Beast replicators that get 10,000 or 8,000 views on their videos, and it doesn't really do well. But that pairing of brilliant creative and tactical knowledge of platform um, that programmers and influencers have is the future of content. And brands can powerfully leverage this. I mean this in the deepest sense. It it, it actually – uh, I didn't get any hot takes, so I'm going to do mine as the last part of the show, which is brands, you f***ed up the influencer space, just full on out. You didn't get it. You thought it was something else, and you made them read these awful scripts, and and you created this 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 duality of inauthentic branded content and authentic influencer-created content, and you spent hundreds of millions of dollars, and it was all a waste. You have to look at these people as creative. You would never go to Tom Cruise. You would never go to uh, Ryan Reynolds and say, "Hey, Ryan Reynolds is great crossover." By the way, he 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 is instinctively plugged into social as totally. he is as an actor. But you would never go to them and say, "Hey, you know, I mean, you might. You'd have to pay them a ton of money, like do this spot, whatnot." But like, if you ignore the actual value proposition, the connection that they have to the audiences that they serve, you miss the point entirely. And so, whereas you, you know, I think that the lazy approach is have your agency tell you what reach and audience segmentation and and target you can get, and then they'll give you like, oh, look at this person; they got ten million followers. Isn't aren't they cool? And that person will take your check. They will take it, and you will get nothing. You will get very, very little value, even though maybe yes, you'll get some conversion metrics, and maybe like I think there is a version of marketing that works in that. But like to me, the essence of this is respect them as a creative, because they already know what works. They yeah. already know how to make content work. They'll do that part for you. If you give them the respect as a creative, you will win. Yeah, I think That's this is a this is a second episode. I, I do want to go deeper into the creator. Um, not just how thinking like creators can help you be better marketers, but how to partner with, how to leverage. Um, and I want to hear more about what you're, uh, what you're doing with Misfits. Um, but before we let you go, we have a couple of fun things we want to do pretty quickly. So we'll see if this is a 30 or 45 minute podcast. Um, we, we exchanged uh, some fun uh, LinkedIn comedy a few months ago that you said you wanted to bring up. I already wanted to. So again, former radio guy and kind of a TV guy that has spent most of our careers now in like digital and branded entertainment content. And, you know, I used to work for a big fortune uh, 100 um, and marketing department. And um, the creative brief was the crown jewel of this department, right? It was the only way a good creative idea could get done. And so I just playfully poked at some of my friends on LinkedIn and I, uh, I said something along the lines – actually, I'm going to read some of it right here. Uh, it says, look, I, I get the creative brief. I've written them. I've gone uh, to creative brief writing courses that they've given us. 
Um, I just don't think they're the mandatory for breakthrough content ideas and can sometimes actually be part of the problem. For decades, journalists, producers, writers, directors across many industries have created amazing content to inspire and entertain without a creative brief. For me, i rather get smart, funny, creative people. Some of these people we've talked about, right? These programmers, the people that are plugged into the channels, these creators that are just naturally and innately content strategy type people. Get them focused on a central goal and just let them riff and watch what happens. That thread got more comments than anything, and you and I were in there kind of uh, verbally kind of having a little bit of a fun sparring match. If you were in the comments, please know it was all in jest. But it comes from a real belief, right, that that I share and that you share. So I'd love for you to open up a little bit of um, – you could talk about that a little bit, but really what we're talking about is how do you come up with really great creative ideas, Um, and there's not just one way. No, I, I look, I, I am a massive believer in the concept of the writer's room. Um, you know, it's it's interesting. I was my I mentioned Garth Anseer uh when I was at Vimeo and working for the first time really in deeply expensive scripted content, I was interviewing writers to do a show and he and he asked me this question. He's like, Is it a structural writer? Is it a character writer? Or is it a dialogue writer? And I said, What are you what are you talking about? He's like, Well, you know. Dick Wolf is the greatest structural writer of all time. And Aaron Sorkin is the greatest dialogue writer and and character writer of all time, but neither of them are great at the other. And so the whole purpose of building a room is to get multiple perspectives to approach a creative problem and ultimately solve it in a genius way. Right? So I think that in my mind, the creative brief is a prison, especially as it relates to branded content and brands who are ultimately giving it to a studio or to a, uh, a publisher or to whomever the intended audience is because everyone is terrified that like they're going to go off the rails or they're going to miss the, the miss the talking points or the like crest toothpaste, make teeth whiter. Like they're going to, they're going to miss that thing. And so you already start with creative that is narrow. The other thing I'd say is that like Hitchcock was famous for saying that, um, the word on the plate, he would read books and then he would be deeply involved in the writing of scripts. And he said, even my favorite film, the thing I loved most was only 60% of what I imagined it to be, right? The fidelity that's lost from when something is on paper to when it ultimately is produced is meaningful. And if you create limitations as to what that creative on paper can be, who can create it, how the idea germinates what ideas can be introduced into a room full of talented people. I think you're, you're absolutely right. The mix of like, you know, you want that if the piece of content is being designed for TikTok, you want that TikTok programmer to tell you that's not on trend. That won't work because no matter how clever the freaking thing is, if it's not attuned to the platform, it's not going to work. And at the same time, you also want some creative, you know, Don Draper genius who's thinking about story in a way. That, you know, my favorite moment in Mad Men is the where he reveals the Kodak carousel and the story behind that carousel and why it was important, why it would connect, why people would get it instantly. It's a it's if you have already come up with the what you want it to be as a marketer, you're not going to get a creative piece. You're going to get something that reflects talking points and bullet points that you want to hit on a, on a, on a spreadsheet to check a box, but ultimately that's not going to achieve, you know, great things. You, you have to think about it more as, 
a, a creative process than a creative brief. Kick off a creative process. Here are the things that are important to us as a brand to communicate, not pages and pages of like, these are the three verticals and this is the, these are the, you know, it, it, teeth whiter and stronger bones. I, it, stop that. Stop it. What is the essence of Crest? What is it that? You know, what is it that that means? And I think that marketers can be infinitely more successful, especially with younger audiences going back to that, that valve, right? That's where this has to change. But that's my, my main point. It's, it's, I'm never taking the context of the way things used to be. I'm only using the context of where we have to go. Right. And so, you know, sure. Maybe it worked. I I don't know. I, I, I don't really care. I'm trying to figure out what is going to work tomorrow with the audience of tomorrow. Um, and I just know that us spending three days, three weeks, like hyper editing a creative brief before we actually sit down and have a freaking idea is just a giant waste of time rather than pairing the right people that are connected. Understand the brand, right? The brand is important. Understand at, at the core, what does the brand stand for? What do we need to communicate? And what does your audience care for? And what happens on the platform that can make this relevant? To me, that's what people that you've described as these content programmers or content strategists, they kind of exist in that space all the time. It's a full 360 view. They can't let go of one to add the other. That's just who they are. I'm going to go, I'm going to keep picking on Crest here because I actually am going to disagree with something you said. It's not a waste of time. It's actually counterproductive. And those are different things. Um, if brands like Crest, like when you adopt a toothpaste, you do it at a relative, like you go to college, like your parents bought the toothpaste before you're a 18 year old freshman in college and you're at target for the first time buying your little mini fridge and all your sundries, which includes a toothpaste. You're going to make a choice. So reality is when you're talking to capture a person who's now going to make a choice that may extend for, you know, the next 50 years of their life, like, don't approach it, but you know, everybody at Proctor, I have friends at Proctor, they know, live, breathe in crazy obsessive ways about the brands. They, you know, I've gotten into long diatribes about Oral-B with one of my former colleagues at iFit that came from Proctor, lovely guy. But you know it, but if you put a, a box of crest in front of an 18-year-old TikToker and say, what does this mean to you? What could it mean? That's what you're trying to do. You want to make them who has who knows nothing about it. They know nothing. How are they going to connect that essence to other 18-year-olds who are making a product purchase decision? And that is why the creative brief is counterproductive. It's damaging to the process of effective marketing. Um, I have another question that we we might cut. I, it's going long, but I just have to ask the question. <laughs> um, so I... Uh, because I, I'm enjoying this, so I'm just going to – we'll see if we use it, um, but I think we will. What do you say when you're in organizations or if you're talking to brands or if you're a mental manager, if you're a head of – your director of marketing and you're trying to bring this mentality, this content-first mindset, these emerging platforms that are distributed on these on, on these phones, the creator world, like this – this is a real thing. The transition is happening, and there's a lot of people that sit at the very top of marketing organizations that exist, and they want to pretend like it doesn't exist. And so you're trying to influence. I don't want to ask the generic question of how do you influence leadership to believe in you, but that still is kind of yeah, a yeah, question yeah. because me and you are not the youngest guys in the room, but we also are plugged in enough to know that this is a real thing, and we can't ignore it. We've got to really find a way to embrace it. But 
that's what the audience, like the audience is going to sit here and listen to this, and they're going to be like, amen, yes, love that, love that, wish we could do that. And they're going to walk away and be like, no chance in hell I could do that at my company. Yep. What, what is the solution? What is the, 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 the uh, you know, the olive branch to, to help them on that journey? Well, look, I think there are, there are many ways to answer this question. I'm going to try to be succinct, which is first, um, I think that the conversation has to have, I think it's a conversation of education. I've spoken to Fortune 1 and Fortune 5 and Fortune 20 CMOs um, over the last few years. There was one, um, and I was in a meeting and I sort of said, all the things that we've been talking about in the very passionate way, like preaching um, that you you can't just look at an agency and take their recommendations because they're just buying this specific stuff. You need to actually go a layer deeper. You need to care about creative, all the stuff that we've just been talking about. It, it, what we'll talk, in fact, I'll tease episode, whatever my next episode is, whatever we're going to talk about in episode two is what I, I shared over the course of a 45 minute conversation with this, you know, uh, CMO at a billion dollar billion plus dollar revenue business. And she stopped me and said, she said, do you have a bug in my office? Cause these are the things that I'm like, keep me up at night. This is what I'm constantly worried about. Um, I think there is a tacit acknowledge that acknowledgement that there is a disconnect between reaching these audiences and not. I think that the higher you can go into positions where, look, I think one of the things um, that is a blocker to to sort of answer is 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 fear. Um, everybody is holding on, especially in corporate. And you you, you know you you and I uh, have taken divergent paths in life. And um, but like corporate is, I've worked at big corporations. I've worked at midsize. Like a lot of people go to their job and are like, I just want to I want to hold my seat until I can get to retirement. And that and like this is episode three. This is a different topic. <laughs> I don't want I don't want to rock the boat. Right. Yeah. But but you have to inspire in the highest person in the organization that you can reach this, this, you have to confirm the fact, like you said something a moment ago, like you watch dude perfect with your kids. All of these CMOs are watching TikTok with their kids. All of them are, and they're all wondering the same thing. How in the hell do I, do I invest my brand in this? And I don't know how a work with brands that get it brands that you see doing interesting things and B for the brands that aren't find the person in that organization that wants to take a risk that isn't looking yeah. for the gold watch and say, Hey, this is going to make your career because this is what this, this is what, this is where things are going. And this is why. Yeah. And I think that's the only way it's not easy. It's not, I, I spent years um, of my life yeah, wondering totally. why, brands and influencers have not found the natural marriage that ultimately should be because it's so yeah. obvious and yet it's so done so poorly and in such a terribly backwards half-assed way that like I'm I, I still am very hopeful I mean working with Taco Bell as an example is a great yeah. experience there are brands that do this well yeah. and I didn't mean to I'm gonna say I didn't mean to poop on Perry I have no idea what their marketing strategy is but it's like okay we don't have any sponsors so we're good <laughs> All right, so a lot of your experience you've had, I don't I don't want to overplay it, but you've had, you know, in some places big production capabilities, right? Big creative yep. capabilities. Um and a lot of places and and you know, you can answer it for the small business and the medium-sized business, but even like Fortune 5s and Fortune 1s, they're not set up to build, you know, some things like content studios. You know, there's a lot of brands that are doing that, but but not everybody. 
And I had a, I had a, uh, a presentation I did a few weeks ago with a company that was probably three or four hundred million, not small. And but their social media team's like four people. Their creative team is just trying to create key art and just keep things afloat, right? And they're like, man, we we believe in what you're saying, Eric. How in the world would we ever get started? We, we don't have the resources to get that agency or this agency. We don't have the resources to sign up with Maverick to do a a YouTube series. What do you tell to people that like have all of the ambition and the interest, but they've got to probably start in a way that's a little bit a little bit smaller? What would be some advice yeah. that you might give people around that? Look, I think one of my greatest phrases, I don't know who get, who came up with it. It's, uh, it's something I think is really true. Constraint breeds creativity. I actually find that um, you know one of the most challenging pieces of content I did had the most ridiculous constraints on it. The budget was – it was would seem to be impossible to do the thing that I ended up doing. Start with an idea. Work on – don't just throw an idea. Really work it. Nurture it. Like do it in, in your off hours. Like set a squad, a squad of people you trust in the org. Task them with like, hey, this will be a fun exercise. Let's imagine like if we were to make a TV series, what would that be? And then go from there because what you're going to find is actually that process has value in itself even if the end goal doesn't ultimately get achieved. Yeah. You know what? I, I always tell people two things. One, um, the best ideas will win. Regardless if you're shooting on a on a red uh, with a big production company or you're shooting on an iPhone with your buddy, um, in today's world of digital and social, uh, the best ideas are going to get out there. And if you think it's the, I've heard other people say this, so I, I don't know where it came from, but it's usually not the algorithm's fault, right? <laughs> if the algorithm is going to feed people content that people really want, the last thing I would just say is that act like a creator. A lot of these people literally started like this and they built millions of people from an audience standpoint with Sitting small devices. And now they've scaled up with big production houses, but that's not how they started. So there's an opportunity. I mean, most of these creators built their audience with a phone and a desk yep. in a room. Like yep. it cost nothing, yep. um, but they had great ideas that resonated. And again, that's why having those programmers, having people that know what works and why in those conversations as you ideate is important because that they're going to tell you what the algorithm why or the why the algorithm will or will not respond to that and oh by the way the other thing is making one piece of content diving in once you might as well not like you you commit totally. to this because content whether you're talking about motion everybody's talking about Barbie and Oppenheimer um, but there was failures in Indiana Jones Flash Mission Impossible all underperformed as box office right. hits come from it's a matrix. Some things hit, some, some things don't. Campaigns, some work, some don't. Content's the same way. The you got to swing. You got to swing and you got to be consistent too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. So last uh, last one here. Um, and I want to hear who do you think is out there doing doing the best content? Um, and I know you've prepared some stuff, so I kind of just want to let you go. And I want to hear – because partly this is going to be uh, you know entertaining, hopefully, to talk through. But also fodder. Yeah. I, I love to find new things to, to dive yeah, into. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so let's, let's go for it. Absolutely. Well, I'm going to give a couple of examples. Um, one of them was Taco Bell. So I've given them enough love yeah. uh, in the work we did at House of Highlights with them. I'd say my favorite uh, current example is Crumble Cookies. Um, so this is a perfect um, intersection of what we've been talking about, like the the a brand and how it 
comes to life through content in social and leans into something that's been a longstanding uh, trend and popular piece of content mm -hmm. and how they connected that to their business. So essentially what Crumble did to build their multi-million um, you know, cross-social following was they just lean into unboxing. And if you if you are a follower of social, like unboxing is a thing. People love to watch the reveal of something. And so they basically took that basic premise and applied it to these very bespoke, deliciously huge cookies. Um, but they did it in a very clever way. So every time uh, there's a new cookie or a new special event going on, they're unboxing it and creating these moments in social that get you excited to return to Crumble. You might go there once and go, wow, that was great, and forget about it. But if you're connected with them on social, like, oh my God, the, the maple bacon, you know, what is that? I gotta I gotta look at that. That looks amazing. And 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 the way that they approach that is so clever and and it clearly a, a huge driver in the success of that brand. Um I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna use a funny one because I don't Go. think the I don't think the brand had anything to do with it, but the Grimace Shake. I oh, guarantee this is the you, McDonald's. Yes, yes, I guarantee you McDonald's probably uh, inadvertently saw its uh, traffic jump because of the TikTok Grimace Shake, which was apparently uh, a trend. We we filmed one for uh, Misfits with Carl, where uh, people drink the shake and then they film themselves dying because it's so terrible. Um, and like, of course, a brand would never want that. Like, it's yeah, like this is the, this is the challenge, and you, and you die. But I guarantee you the interest and the sort of like fervor around that product and people's like, I guarantee you they sold a hell of a lot more Grimace shakes because that trend somehow took hold than they would have otherwise. So yeah. those are my two favorites right now. The I follow the the head of social for McDonald's, but I follow him on LinkedIn, and he's kind of talked a little bit about. Um, it, but he very much talked at one point, like this wasn't planned. This wasn't strategic. Um, and I'm not, I, I, I don't want to speak for him, but it made it seem like that, um, it probably also wasn't awesome internally for a little while, right? Like they had to get comfortable, but I think that's the other thing that we didn't really touch on today is you are in this day and age, putting your brand in the hands of your customers, whether Correct. you believe it or not. So we've got to find a way to get comfortable with that. Whether it's a partnership with a creator, it's actually just people out there, you know, holding your cup and it says Perrier and now that's in a podcast and what are they going to say about it? How are they going to use it? Um, that's a, that's a, that is definitely something. And, and I'm sure it still worked out in their favor, but I know it was a. But I think that's the, the point of it is, is that you have to trust. Um, you have to, you have to give credit to your audience. They know more than you give them credit for. And when you, when you, again, going back to the creative brief, like if you have, if you think you have to, you know, put it in that kind of structured package, you're discrediting how the audience is ultimately going to react. The content ultimately is about emotion, uh, authenticity and attachment. Um, we all talk about sticky content to create the honey, to create what makes it sticky. It has to be real. It has to be authentic and it has to connect to somebody's individual story. And sometimes that can be a negative that's turned into a positive or a negative that's makes people curious. I actually love the Grimace shake. It's perfect. I, 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 I dug it. It was great. And I don't think the person who created the first Grimace shake video that went viral actually thought it was terrible. I think they are just they were just being silly as silly, as yeah. influencers are. And like yeah. lean in. And by the way, the last point I'll make on this, it's a good way to end, which is you asked the question about like how um 
how brands begin to learn and evolve. I guarantee you, your friend at a McDonald's um, has learned something, and it's 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 planted a seed. Like, how can we be more bold? How how can right. we take ourselves less seriously? How can we get more moments in in social um, that are authentic? You know, I, I I can't tell you the number of times I, I I've posted social things both at Bleacher at iFit hasn't happened to me yet at um, at Misfits because Ben our CEO is awesome but literally I would get calls in the middle of the night from CEOs past <laughs> what the hell are you doing and and I, I, my favorite my favorite one I got a, a furious call from the from the the the, the CFO at, uh, at 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 iFit and he was like this this video is Terry, like, what are you doing? You're going to ruin the brand. I said, this is the most engaged post we've had all year. And the comments are running 95% positive. What are you talking about? Go back to sleep. <laughs> and in, and to that man's credit, he was like, I get it. I shouldn't do this. It's fine. But like, it's, it's that that's going to teach yeah. people the, the way to the truth and the light. Man. So good. So good to see you. So good to talk. I, I, there's part of me, there's the broadcaster in me that wants to summarize what we just did, but it was all there. Um, and I appreciate the time, Sam, and I'm sure we will be setting up episode two uh, to go all into the creator the creator aspect of this. It. I would love it. It's, uh, you know, for those of you tuned in, I'll give a plug to, 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 to Radical, to you, Eric. Like, you're one of the people people should listen to. I, I, I genuinely think that what, how you see the world is where the world is going. And I'm glad to be a guest, but I imagine that the guests that you'll have will, will come with equally interesting perspective. You see the matrix. Very few do for those listening, tell your friends, subscribe, like do all the social things because Eric's got his finger on the pulse and you really should listen. Oh, this guy. All right. Well, you were already my guy, but, but even more so now, Sam, thank you for the time today. Um, listener, thank you so much for uh, listening. Uh, like he said, do all those things, and we'll be back in a couple weeks with another episode of Radical Content. Thanks, everybody. <laughs>